Hello, this is Tony Speaks, and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. This week we speak to community activist and pastor Gary Holland. Pastor Holland may be the busiest man alive. He is involved in everything from social justice issues, feeding the poor, reconciling the church, traditional pastoral duties, and even Toastmasters. Anyone who can balance that schedule deserves a seat at Becoming Disciplined. So sit back and relax and listen to how one man has sacrificed his life for the betterment of his community. Today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview Pastor Gary Holland. Pastor Holland, welcome to Becoming Disciplined. We are so honored to have you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I'm honored to be here. Excited to be here and looking forward to the next uh, few moments we have together. Thank you, Pastor. Well, for my audience, Gary Holland is the community activist and servant that has a broad circle of influence. He has developed an extraordinary level of discipline in the area that Jesus called and Dr. King called the ultimate measure of greatness, service to others. But pastor, before we talk about your ministry, before we talk about what you're doing in the Stafford community, we want to hear your origin story. You know, we know Batman's origin story. His parents got killed. Okay. Superman's origin story. He had to run from a global crisis. Pastor Gary Holland's origin story. How did you become the servant that you are today? It would benefit our audience to understand your context. Pastor Holland, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, uh, Pastor okay. Tony. My, my origin story isn't, uh, isn't, isn't earth shattering. It isn't, uh, it isn't mind blowing. Uh, I grew up in Alexandria. My mom had me when she was 15. Uh, her origin story is one that would blow your mind. Uh, but she had me young, had to leave the house when she was 15 with a baby, uh, nowhere to go, no education. And it was she and I uh, for a couple of years until she met my stepfather. And I was raised by my stepfather and my mother uh, in Alexandria, in Arlington, uh, Northern Virginia. And that's okay. where I learned how to get in trouble and how to avoid getting caught to get in worse trouble. Um, but I, I had the sort of growing up that most people have, didn't go to church, knew about church. Um, when I was a child, I went to Macedonia Baptist Church in Green Valley in Arlington. I'm not sure if you've ever been there, yes, but sir. I went there. I remember being baptized there by Reverend Robinson when I was a kid. My cousins and I would laugh and joke about the whole experience. I remember being in the Bells of Joy choir as a young child, not knowing songs, couldn't stand hymns, couldn't stand <laughs> church music. Uh, but I had, did it because I had to do it when I was young. But when I was a little bit old enough, you couldn't find me anywhere near, near a church. Things really changed for me. But my growing up was just in the area uh, in Northern Virginia. My family's from the DMV, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So that my roots are here. Uh, and, I, and I love this area. And this is where I spent all of my formative years. Amen. Amen. Now, did you go to T.C. Williams? You're a Titan? I went to, I went to, I went to Ramsey. I went to William okay. Ramsey, okay. Uh, Patrick Henry. Uh, Francis C. Hammond Junior High School, you know, okay. we competed against UW, and right after the eighth grade, I went to, we moved uh, to Lorton, and I ended up going to Hayfield in okay. Alexandria instead of going to TC. So okay. all of my friends went to TC, and I moved, and you talk about a disappointed young man. Uh, I was ready for TC. I was ready for the <laughs> type growing up in the area, you know, playing football for Patrick Henry, playing against Core Kelly and Charles Houston, and you know, against GW, I was ready for TC when everybody came back together again, but we moved, and I ended up at uh, Hayfield in Alexandria. That's where I graduated from. Okay. Now, did you, uh, what, what was your graduating class? 86. 86. Okay. 86. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I'm a true OG. <laughs> okay. All right. No, no. I have a family who, uh, I have family who came up on Ball Street in Alexandria, and, okay. uh, and, but they graduated all around 73, 75, 71. So they were a little, okay. they're a little more old school than you were. Okay. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I got yeah, it. And, and my wife and I graduated from Wakefield, uh, okay. Wakefield Arlington, Virginia. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. My and family I got in trouble in all kinds of places in Arlington. So absolutely. My family went to, went to TJ, went to Wakefield. Uh, the, my family was in Johnson Hill. 
okay. grandmother, grandfather, aunts and uncles. That's where I spent all of my summers at and all of my free time in Johnson Hill and Green Valley in Arlington. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, when you were a child, you, uh, it sounds like you played a lot of sports. What coach or what teacher or, you know, maybe it was stepdad. Who was that person that inspired you with their level of discipline? The, the person that inspired me, and actually it was my, my mother, you know, and I'll say it to this day. My mother's still here uh, because, again, she had me young. and I'm 52, so she's still still kicking, still working, still doing her thing. But seeing uh, the way she uh, committed her life to becoming better uh, after being a, a child herself and having to grow up quickly and committing herself to doing what she had to do. My mother went through a lot of physical abuse when I was growing up. I was witness to a lot of physical abuse uh, growing up in that situation. I still have, to be honest with you, some some trauma around that. I've never uh, succumbed to that myself. Um, but that when you see something like that, uh, and I'm her only child, uh, when you see it, it does leave scars. It does hurt. And uh, I've never had therapy regarding it. But a good friend of mine, Pastor Kevin Jones, was teaching a, a sermon online one day. And he talked about how when he was going to therapy, his therapist told him to write a letter to his 10-year-old self as a form, as an exercise. And I listened to him and I did it. I did it that night. And it was very helpful uh, to stand back and look at myself as that child. So growing up and seeing her go through what she went through, or seeing her succeed, she ended up uh, not going to college, but finishing high school, getting a job in the insurance industry, Aetna Insurance. I remember it fondly. And she still now is working in the insurance field. She's a director the National Flood Program. Uh, she's made a, a wonderful living uh, and grown tremendously. And seeing how she held herself together for herself and for me, in spite of the years uh, of, of struggle that she went through, she absolutely is my role model in terms of discipline, in terms of realizing you can make it, uh, realizing no matter how stacked the deck is against you, uh, being a woman especially, and being, you know, during that time, you know, in the 70s, uh, dudes were pretty abusive. You know, and uh, the fact that she was able to make it through that and succeed and be there for me, my wife, our children, you know, her grandkids is amazing to me. And she absolutely is my example of, of, of this. No doubt about it. I didn't I didn't get how bad things were, but I was in that movie, um, Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It? Yeah. And when the traumatic scenes were there, I was with a loved one. And that my loved one who had seen some of the same things you've seen, uh, they came unglued. You know, like it, it just it was almost like being back in, in a in a war zone, you know. And uh and and also, uh, Pastor Holland, you have full edit capabilities. Anything you want me to edit out, you know, you have to, sure. you know, so because I'm gonna leave a little bit of the script. I I I'd like to because you hit on something that I, I had an you know, I shared with you, I had an extraordinary day yesterday, uh, you know, getting getting someone some help. And uh, I wanted to talk to you based on what you just said about um, the, you know, the mental health crisis that a lot of us are seeing in the community. What are your thoughts as a pastor about people getting therapy and people getting the help that they need once they see that kind of trauma? You know, uh, do you think therapy could have been a benefit to your family after they after you've seen that? No doubt about it. No, no doubt about it. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a full proponent uh, of therapy. Uh, actually, in our church, I'm the assistant pastor at our church, but I was able to coordinate about two or three weeks ago a session uh, from a therapist in the area. She's published, she's well known, and she spent an hour and a half with the leaders in our church on a Zoom session, specifically talking about mental health, talking about the triggers and the things that we should look for, uh, how we can help, but how, more importantly, we should realize when real help, I'll say real help, professional help is needed, and how we should be comfortable directing people to receive additional help or escalating internally uh, so that we can get folks the help they need. So I'm 100% in favor of it. I know all too well in our community uh, how that is frowned upon and people hide pain, they hide hurt, uh, they, they, they press it down, they stamp it down, uh, but it comes out. It comes out. Something may happen, some trigger may happen you're not aware of uh, and you'll explode uh, or you'll just cr crash, you'll implode, right? And I've seen too much of that uh, so I know that therapy would have been helpful for my mom, for me, certainly, as a young man. Uh, and uh, but, I, but I thank God that I came to know him. And I'm sure we'll get to that part of the, uh, the, uh, the discussion. But coming to know him when I did in my mid-20s uh, saved me from 
you know, a life of probably repeating a lot of what I saw growing up and doing a lot of the things that I was told myself I'd never do. Um, but I never had that therapy, never had that person to talk to that was impartial, uh, that was trained and that knew how to listen and pull things out of me and get me to acknowledge some of the situations I had to acknowledge within myself. But uh, in time, I was able to, and I thank God for that, but there are millions that have not. Uh, and they're silently suffering. They're silently struggling. And that's where I believe ministry is so important. And we can't just say, look, let's just pray about it. Right. You know, let's go to the altar and call on Jesus and spit up or spit up in a trash can or whatever, and you're going right. to be okay, right? right? I mean, right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, kind of, shaking my head at anybody but the reality is mental uh, uh issues mental challenges you know depression oppression is real and there are people that are trained to help people navigate through that and i think more and more ministers and pastors are accepting that uh and making sure that people get the help they need amen amen um yeah i, I try to tell my congregation that uh i can help people with the software but i'm not equipped to help with the hardware so when I see a hardware like issue, I got to get you to a hardware specialist. And, I like uh, that. you know, the software is the word. I can give you some word, but I, right. I can't. Right. I, I'm not equipped with the hardware. So speaking about uh, speaking about uh, church and, 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 and spirituality and, and our, our, our walk with the Lord, when did you hear the call to the ministry? Well, I mean, it, even before that, um, my wife and I, we got married. Um, I was in my early early mid twenties and my, met my wife, she's from Louisiana and she was up here uh, with her husband at the time. She had just gotten married herself. He was the Marine in Quantico, very abusive relationship. I didn't know it at the time. She had split up from him and she had who came to be my first daughter. Jasmine was one and a half when I met my wife. And when I met her, it was at a summer, but she was going back to Louisiana. So we had a summer fling and you know how it is when you're in your twenties. And, and uh, I actually kind of fell for her. She won't admit it today, but I think she fell for me, too, but she'll never <laughs> admit it. Um, but we had set it up, and I drove her to Texas uh, when she moved back down there. And I stayed there for a week. She was at her sister's. And when I left, when my brother-in-law at the time drove me to the airport, I remember looking in the rearview mirror at her, standing in front of the car, waving. And I knew then that it wasn't over. It wasn't over. And we had a long-distance relationship for a little while. I would go there. She would come here. I got her back up here and, and made, made her my wife. And she's the one that started uh, pulling me to church. Uh, and we went, we went to Word of Faith, the church where I currently serve as assistant pastor 25 years ago. And I went and said I'd never go back because it was the Holiness Church, Pentecostal right. Church. During that time, you know, my apostle and his wife, they were on fire. They were, they were real with it. <laughs> you know, deliverance and living for the Lord and living holy. You know, they've kind of changed over the years. But they were real with it. And I said, I'm not going back into this spot at all. Right. Little did I know that's where God needed me to be. You know, I needed to be in that sort of a deliverance focused ministry, a ministry that challenged you to live holy, that Amen. challenged you to acknowledge your flaws and your faults and to, and to be humble and to be right. broken. And so I kept going. And I had a cousin that was sick with leukemia and we went to a revival. And I remember at that service, um, the, the, the traveling preacher asked everybody to pray with the person next to you about whatever it is they're dealing with. And he didn't know my cousin was dying from leukemia at the time. And, and I did. And I prayed with him. And he prayed that I would be delivered from, mm. from the drugs, from alcohol, from Newport's, you know, a pack a day. My cousin prayed. We grew up together. We were brothers. Right. And he prayed deliverance for me. I prayed healing for him. Um, but God delivered me that night. He set me free that night from addiction. He set me free that night. It wasn't a long process. It wasn't a drawn out process. He removed the taste from my mouth. He truly delivered me that night. And that's when I realized that there was a purpose for me in the kingdom. So I really kept going to church and I kept pressing my way back in. And I was just going to church and I would serve, I would usher, I would help out. But I was in the car one day going to church to answer your question. My wife and I were, and there was a story, I forget the details. Something happened with some children somewhere in the country. Some children were abducted uh, or found and they had been killed. But it was a story we hear. You know, typically you hear things like that on the news. But that particular story completely crushed me. Mm -hmm. it, it crushed me. It, it wore me. It, it just broke me down. And I, I felt the tears and the hurt and the pain. It wasn't even in this area. I didn't know the kids, the family, anything like that. We were on our way to Bible study. And I, and I told my pastor about that. And I said, you know, what can, what can I do? I feel called to help with the children. And he confirmed 
that, you know, basically, essentially, he said, you know what, I've, I've been waiting for you. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting for you. It's been on my heart. So my wife and I started in youth ministry initially, and the Lord used us to build a youth ministry in the Dumfries area in Williamstown. The oh, shopping center owner where our church was allowed us to have a storefront for free. We called it the Den, and we had all the kids from the community come in and paint it. People donated ping pong tables, video games. We had we took the kids to different cultural events, and, and that's where he initially called us and ministry was ministering to the youth. And through that, I learned so much about connecting to different types of people and families and, and leading them to the Lord. And it was a transformative time in, in my life. And then from there, the Lord began to reveal to me, hey, that's just the beginning, brother. There's a lot more for you to do. Amen. And, and it kind of went on from there. But it started with hearing that story. And that story is where the Holy Spirit said, Gary, you know, um, um, he, he really pulled at my heartstrings with that story and, and pulled me right on in into the ministry. Pastor Holland, it's amazing. I know my wife is, uh, she's downstairs and she listens, you know, because she does the editing and, you know, she, and she's there in case we have a technical difficulty. I know she's losing her mind because, uh, you know, uh, we've been circling each other in life in a, in a weird way, you know, and we meet until this year, but we've been circling each other. Um, my wife and I got saved in Dumfries, Virginia. And right. it was on that little, uh, I know you know the, the, you know the building. It's right next to Grand Park Middle School, that little white building of the Thompson, <laughs> yeah. the Thompson family, you know. So okay. uh, from the Bible Way, the Bible Way family, that little, that little, that little building, the little white building, yes, that's where I got yes, saved. Amen. And, uh, and that's where my wife came back to the Lord. And then, matter of fact, that's where I, I cut my teeth in, 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 in ministry is trying to, minister in portal dumfries and 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 walking all in and out uh, matter of fact first time i coached was at the dumfries ymca and uh i did a miserable job but you know uh, <laughs> i tried to coach basketball at the dumfries ymca and uh you know that's where i that's where i started off at in, in that in that uh that little house church that's where uh that's where my wife and i began and we did a whole lot of ministry in there from 96 until when did I, when did we, when did we move on uh, from 96 to 99, even though it was just three years, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you first get saved, you know, the world slows down, you know, mm-hmm. like everything, everything's kind of magnified and the whole world slows down because you're just experiencing things like, yes, a, like a new person. So if it, that, that was 10 years within those three years. So, mm-hmm. you know, from, from Arlington to Dumfries, we've been, we've been, uh, <laughs> we've been, <laughs> We've been now. We both down here, south of the uh, the Beltway. That's amazing. So you're That's you're amazing. in Caroline, right? Yes, sir. I'm in Caroline. My, my son-in-law, my uh, my middle daughter's husband, uh, Col- AJ Coleman. His father is Alvester Coleman. Lisa Coleman. She has a hair salon. Alvester yes. works for Washington Gas. Has a bunch of uh, 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 barbershops. And he's he's uh, he's an elder. He's a trustee at their church. The church in Caroline. I forget the name of the church now. Okay. Um, it's the old, been there for a long time. So sure. I have family in Carolina. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, everybody knows you. Everyone knows that. I was wondering how all of my friends know you. <laughs> everyone knows you everywhere. So now you have an incredible voice. Before you got saved, did you always have that voice? Has that voice been cultivated uh, by by the Holy Spirit and God, or or have you always have, have you always had that that very white voice? Where where where'd you get that from? Is that genetic uh, or is that Holy Ghost uh, inspired? I, I, my father has a, my biological father has, has a heavy voice, and um, I've never I've never worked at it or anything like that. I think it's just natural. So I can't sing, you okay. know, and uh, never did anything like that. Uh, as the Lord kind of led me professionally, it's funny how the parallels in ministry and in my career were similar. And as I I, I work in pre-sales now, pre software software company, do a lot of presentations and and things like that. So as I began to teach Bible study and began to do those sorts of things, I also began to present for a living and present technology and talk to people and teach people. So as the Lord was developing me in ministry, he developed me in the professional world and I had to talk a lot. So I've been talking a lot ever since then. And I look back often and just shake my head and say, wow, Lord, I I see your hand even then as he developed me kind of a both paths at the same time. So I did find myself talking a lot. But. Never uh, thought much about. I wish I could sing. People always say, "Can you sing?" 
I can't sing. <laughs> yeah, people are surprised I can't sing either. So because they they say they you know some folks say I got a nice voice, but then when when I start singing, I will I will bust out a chicken note on you in a minute. You know, so <laughs> so uh, now uh, you know part of this. You know, I almost would rename. I could rename the the podcast the Get Better Club, and you know we're trying to help people get better. We're trying to help people. We're trying to redesign Gary Holland. You know, you know give people some 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 hints on how to become better folks um if you could give 15 year old gary holland some advice what would you tell 15 year old gary holland because that's a that's a key point that that 15 years old is right before you go to high school and when the grades start counting for good you know mm-hmm. uh so what would you tell 15 year old gary holland well what i would say to to 15 year old gary is you know be mindful be mindful of the habits you allow yourself to develop because, you know, one, of course, if you develop negative habits, they can have negative impact on you physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, et cetera. And they're hard to break. Some habits are very hard to break. Um, and I found myself young and young part of my life kind of bound, you know, by lust, uh, not realizing at the time, thinking it was okay. And it was how things should be, but it took a while for me to realize I needed to be set free from that thing because I allowed some habits to get started. I allowed habits to start when I was young with cigarettes and alcohol and, and, you know, drugs and things like that. And it took a long time for me to break free of those. So just like I would, I would warn myself against the negative habits. I would also encourage myself to establish positive habits because I now growing up and and becoming a man and serving in the kingdom and being a part of young people's lives. My wife and I, have helped so many young people truly grow and develop. And now they're grown with kids themselves. When they were young, God allowed us to play a part in their life to help them develop positive habits, you know, habits such as prayer, uh, you know, being comfortable praising God, uh, going to church, serving in the community, developing positive habits. So if I talk to myself, I'd say watch the negative habits. Uh, be mindful of those because they can be, uh, they can damage you for a long time and they're hard to be set free from. But more importantly, I think I would emphasize uh, establishing positive habits, not just spiritually, but the way you eat, you know, the way you rest, you know, what you do for leisure. You know, I, w- I would warn myself against um, avoiding those things, thinking you always have tomorrow, because we don't always have until tomorrow to start something positive. Start it today, right? Awesome. So I think that's what I would talk to myself about, about the habits that we that, that, I, that I start, because I know that I started some bad ones that took a while to break, and I didn't start some good ones until later in my life. And I could have saved myself a lot of pain and anguish if I started those things earlier. Awesome. Now, even though only one man time traveled in the Bible, uh, let's do some more time traveling. Let's fast forward a little bit. And we know uh, what type of advice would you give Gary Holland on his first year in the ministry? First year in ministry? Uh, at, at that time, uh, earlier during that time in ministry at Word of Faith, it, as I mentioned, it was the deliverance ministry. Um, you know, and I had God set me free. You know, I wasn't drinking. I was I'm nothing. Uh, and I was I was projecting that on others. And you know where where the church was in in Williamstown. And I'm out. I'm active with the guys and going out into Williamstown and talking to the dudes on the corner. And I'm projecting that that holiness on people, thinking that's what I really should have been doing when I didn't realize I was pushing people away. So if I could speak to myself that first year in ministry. I learned this over time. Be yourself, you know, be relatable, you know, connect to people, establish a relationship. It's through these relationships that we can minister more effectively. You know, I, I would hammer that in to my head. You know, it's not just banging them with the scripture. It's not just pointing them, you know, to church on Sundays or Tuesdays or Wednesdays, it's establishing a relationship. If you really want to be help somebody and disciple them, there has to be some sort of a relationship there. So that's what I would emphasize to myself first year in ministry, because I know that I was pretty, uh, you know, pretty forceful <laughs> back in the day, not realizing that I was as pharisaical as I could be. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Same with me. I repelled more people than, uh, uh, than rope spray. Amen. I, I was, yes, uh, I was the serious, the worst repellent. Now let's do time travel one more time. Let's, tr- uh-huh. tr- and I'll leave you alone with time travel. Uh, but there's people who are new fathers, you know, and, um, what advice would you give uh, a young man who is, uh, you know, the the his his lady has just had the baby, 
and he's waiting out there in the in the room and they put that baby in his arms after the baby has been born what advice do you give that young man today wow these are good questions because i'll be honest with you which I mean, you know i didn't i didn't really scan them uh because i've been so so busy but these time travel questions are really good and i'm going to borrow them when i talk to some people <laughs> to get people to talk but you know I, we have five children we have four well, my oldest is my stepdaughter. I raised her since she was one and a half. We raised our godson since he was four. He's 20. He's moved on. But the other three are our biological children. So I've been there three times where the doctors brought the, the baby out. And I've seen, you know, seen that child for the first time. What I would tell a, a young man for his first one, I'd say, you know, son, look at this child and realize that you're going to be the representation of God in this child's life. I try to emphasize the, the importance of him in that child's life. You know, if, if he's wishy-washy, if he's sometimes there, sometimes not there, or if he makes promises and breaks them, if he hurts the mom or lies to the mom, he's going to impact that child, boy or girl, with in terms of their perspective of men and possibly even their perspective of God. So I would try to help that young man understand that, you know, you know what, you are going to be that person's the child's first picture, you know, of, of God in their life. So you have a great responsibility, uh, you know, to 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 if you're with the mother, to be with the mother, you know, to, to love her, to lift her up, to always side with her over the child. Don't let the child split you. But more importantly, be the man uh, that you call yourself. Right. I would challenge him with that. And I challenge men. My wife and I do a lot of marriage counseling. And I challenge men a lot when they have issues, when there are issues in the marriage. I say, from my perspective, I put the onus on on, on the man to be the one to try to, you know, resolve the issue, uh, you know, work the compromise out, work the collaboration out. Uh, because I believe, you know, God made us the head of the home with the priest, et cetera, for a reason. Uh, we can't just put it on the wife to do that. And I would challenge that young man to realize the importance of his role in that child's life. And hopefully that would help. The young man to not make some silly decisions that we all, you know, know we've made or or could have made uh, when it comes to raising our children and being there and being the right example for them. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Now, uh, what you know, I've 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 preached. Uh, I've always preached God's word, but I've uh, I put people to sleep, <laughs> and uh, uh, I've preached words that were filled with a little too much Tony and 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 not enough you know needed a whole lot more jesus and uh um i've uh i've you know I preached some some great sermons and i've preached some bad ones and uh and it took me a long time to figure out you know uh you know at least the the way the lord wanted me to get ready for a sermon what disciplines do you recommend to a young preacher today on sermon development you know, how, how do you get ready and what, what what do you tell that young preacher on how he can get ready for that, sir? Number, number one, you know, absolutely number one is I try not to prepare for sermons. I try to make, you know, meditation on God's word, um, you know, uh, constant. Mm-hmm. You know, I just had a Bible study the other night where I talked about spiritual and enga- scriptural engagement mm-hmm. and really engaging with the word and approaching the word you know, through that concept of meditation and the, the Hebrew word kind of referring to a lion growling and refer the same word was used in Isaiah with a lion hovering over his meal, uh, you know, intense and focused and ready to consume it and devour it. And you better not touch it because it's about to and it's growling over that the word for meditate on the word is the same word used for growl. And that's the mindset that I would encourage a, a young preacher to have when it comes to the word of God to engage with the scripture, not to just read it, you know, not to just listen to it, but the word is life. The word is you know, sharper than any two edged sword. We, we know all of that, right? But it's it, it, when we really understand the, how awesome the word is and we just desire to just, just consume it, amen, that preaching becomes a little bit easier because if that's a part of our life. And I believe the Holy Spirit reveals things to us. Always have a pen and a paper with you when you're reading the word. Because I, the, the Lord has dropped things in our spirits, even as we just do our personal study. First, and when it's time to, to preach, or when you know you have to preach, and there's a particular theme, you already have the you have what you need in you already. So it really has to do with um this being having an, an intentional mindset when it comes to the Word of God. And there's another concept in the Word of, when it comes to uh, consuming the Word of God. It's the one of chewing the cud, 
and how cows have the four stomachs and they chew the grass and they digest it, bring it back up, chew it some more, digest it, bring it back up, chew it some more until they get all the nutrients out of it. That's how we should approach the word as young preachers. We should consume it. And then it may sit for a second, bring it back up, think on it some more, meditate on it some more. It may go down for a couple hours, bring it back up. Because every time we do that, we get more and more from the word. And that's the foundation of, of in my opinion, of preaching. Uh, when you look at it from the perspective of just preparing a sermon, especially nowadays, and I'm sure you know it with young ministers, we have to warn them to not become Google pastors, to not become, you know, uh, outline preachers, because it's so easy to find sermon outlines and sermon tips and topical studies online, read it, and then try to make it your own. Um, but preaching and teaching has to come from the word being hidden out hearts. Amen. And that only really happens, I believe, if you make that intentional attempt to really just consume the word on a regular basis. And then the, uh, the, the science of scripture preparation, you learn that from pastors like Pastor Tony. <laughs> oh, see, thank you. <laughs> thank you, my brother. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. That that Rima word, that's what we really need. Now, uh, what book? Well, no, no, I, I, I missed one here. With your exhausting schedule, because I see you know, your father, you're you're like myself, you're bivocational. Do you have uh, you know, you you take care of the Stafford community, and we'll get into that later. Uh, when you're doing all of that, you're a husband, you're, you're doing all of that. How do you have enough time for fitness and health? How do you make time for that? At this, well, at this point, uh, that, that, that is a struggle, especially in the winter months. But during when the weather warms up and it's warming up now, I walk all the time. You know, I'll get out, I'll put my headset on. Either I'll watch a couple of episodes of something on Netflix or I'll just play music. You know, I'll play Jimi Hendrix. I'll play whatever I want to listen to. And I'll just walk. And I try to make sure that I walk a couple of miles a day. I may go out twice a day. I work from home. And I've been working from home for a number of years. And I haven't been traveling because of uh, coronavirus, because our company's not traveling. So I have plenty of time. And I've always had it to, to walk. Now, back in the day, I played basketball all the time. You know, that's all I did when I had free time. But now I can't do that anymore. So really, I get out and I walk. And for me, that gives me peace. You know, I have a lot of Revelation when I walk, I can still work and have conference calls and all of that, but just walking helps me mentally, it helps me spiritually, and it also helps me physically. And that's how I kind of grab the time that I need to take care of myself physically as I get out and I walk, um, to be honest with you. I don't go to the gym and lift weights and all that sort of thing. I just I don't have the time for that, but I do have the time to get out and, and just walk. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. Now, um, what book outside the Bible do you recommend that has helped you the most on your life journey? Um, in my life, really, the I guess there, there are a couple of them, but I'll just one is, is The Millionaire Next Door. It's a small, easy to read book. I mean, it's, it's not, it doesn't take a lot, but it helped me realize early in my marriage and early in my career uh, before, I saw, before I started making a little bit of money. Don't make a whole lot, but I make, I make enough. But it helped me to realize the importance of giving. You know, it helped me to realize the importance of, of tithing and it helped me to realize the importance of not wasting money on stuff, you know, on on rims or the Jordans on. And I thank God that he connected me with a woman that has the same mindset and the same perspective. Right. But that book, The Millionaire Next Door, uh, meant a lot to me. You can find it on. I think it's like two bucks on Amazon. I highly recommend it to anybody that is working with young couples or young people in marriage. It can really establish a a foundation around saving and, and giving and sowing uh, and investing uh, that can really make a huge difference in our lives. Because as you know, many times we don't put the right amount of attention on that. And then we're 40, 45, and we wonder why we don't have any anything that we can begin to look at to propel us into the latter stages of our lives. So that, that book uh, was very, very helpful for me, to me. And also uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. You know, coming up, I was a bit of a hothead, like, like most of us were. And I remember reading that. My stepbrothers all spent a lot of time incarcerated. And I remember reading that and, and realizing, you know, again, how God can change people, you know, how life can change people, how God can change people and seeing how he transformed, sure. seeing how he transformed from the guy he was to the man he became really encouraged me too. And I look back over my life and there were a lot of transformative stories around me. And I didn't realize it until later in life that I needed to see that because God was going to transform me and it was going to be real. And I had to understand the realness of that transformation. And I think that's why I'm able to connect with so many people. My wife always jokes, I can connect to 
to anybody. I can talk to, you know, white or black or people that are educated or, or not or people that are playing ball or getting high. Or I, I, can, I can relate to different people because I've been transformed in so many ways. And the autobiography of Malcolm X is a book that really helped me understand the reality of transformation. Uh, and there's so many other books like that that I've read. But those are the two that come to mind, The Millionaire Next Door and The Autobiography of Malcolm X by uh, Alex Haley. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, you know, uh, my wife and I have the same mindset with money that you and your wife had. But somehow, Pastor Holland, I ended up having two kids that are little Kardashians. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so, so I don't know how. I know, you know what you I mean. Don't, <laughs> so I don't know how my wife and I, my wife and I, we have the Kool Aid taste, but then we have these two little girl with girls with caviar dreams. So uh, uh -huh. you know, so I don't know how I'm gonna, I'm gonna work that out. But 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 uh, well, that's why out. you have the Kool Aid taste. So you have money to buy them caviar. That's right. I guess so. I guess that's what it's <laughs> gonna have to be about. All right. Now, what book in you know? Of course, we all love the Bible. We all know the Bible's the whole. You know, it's it's all it's all yeah. God's word. But there's different there's different passages and different books that can hit us a little different. Uh, you know, when I left uh, the Bible Way Church and I got uh, trained in the in the Baptist church for a little while, they even had a tradition within the Baptist church of you know what book called you into the gospel. Like that's a you know like that you know that within the Baptist tradition they that's a a, a thing you know. Um, so what book? had a profound what book in the bible had the most profound impact upon you yeah and and that one is an, an, kind of an easy one uh i've talked to folks about it you know many times i remember early in my time at at, at word of faith uh, long before i was uh like really involved in you know called to the ministry um apostle coates an apostle now he challenged us he was pastor coates and during the men's fellowship to memorize a scripture and i'd never Memorize scripture. I, coming up, I did and had no desire to. You know, I would I would remember it when I heard it. You know, I would I would recall it, but I would never memorize it. And I always told myself I couldn't. And um, I remember doing that and sitting in. I didn't study it before the men's fellowship, so I sat in the car in the parking lot about 15 minutes before, and I tried to cram these three scriptures in my mind. <laughs> um, but the book itself that's meant the most to me really is Proverbs. Um, but Proverbs three. Uh, uh, where it says, uh, my son, forget not my law, let the heart keep my commandments, let the days long life and peace shall they add to you, let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and you'll find peace and favor with God and man. When I've memorized those three verses and, and began to really think about those three verses, I call those the keys to peace. And, and, and when I dissect it, you know, it just reminds me so much to think about God's word, to hold fast to God with God's word, to let God's word be revealed in my life. And that's how I have peace and how I have favor, not just with God, but with man, too. You know, because if we exhibit those kinds of traits, you know, people are drawn to us and people will, will, will give us a break and, and look favorably upon us when we have the interview or when we need to, to do certain things in life. So that 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 Proverbs three has been a lot to me. Those first three verses have absolutely meant a lot to me. And even as my son, we have a 13 year old son. Our oldest daughter is 31, 32 this summer. Youngest is 13, you know, five of them all together. So even with him, I try to, to read Proverbs with him one a day, you know, the old thing, right? You read one Proverbs a day is 31 and to try to get some of that wisdom into him. It's tough because he's 13 and you know, I'm 50 and, and, and he doesn't always want to listen, you know, but I, I want that wisdom. I think without wisdom, you know, we make so many mistakes and, and being able to have the wisdom from the word is, uh, is, 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 is so important. Uh, so mm -hmm. Proverbs is my, is my go-to. That's my go-to. When I want to just sit and read, just to read, you know, I'll, I'll read Proverbs. And from that reading, I find myself in so many different directions in the word being fed, but it starts for me with Proverbs. That's good. That's good. Now, becoming disciplined, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas. Spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management, home and data organization. Which of these do you consider your strong points and which of these do you believe are some undeveloped and undeveloped area that you feel could use some work? Uh, the, uh, 
in terms of strong points, the one that you read through them, but the one that jumped out was emotional uh, intelligence. There's a book that I picked up at the airport one time, another small book. I get small books, but it was one of those things I picked up on business travel called emotional uh, quotient, you know, kind of instead of intelligence quotient. And I picked it up because the cover was interesting. And I remember reading it on the plane and it told me that the people that are most successful in, in business, and I was equating that to ministry and life and and everything of the people that have high emotional quotient, not necessarily people that have high intelligence quotient. Now you can be smart as the day is long and have all the degrees a thermometer has, but if you don't know how to connect to people, if you're not empathetic, if you're not able to 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 understand when people are feeling a certain way or read people, you know, you'll you won't be able to connect with people, whether it's in the business setting and ministry and your family, with your children and your community. So emotional intelligence, I think, is an area where I, I I, I intuitively uh, was pretty good at. Uh, and when I read that, it kind of revealed to me, you know what, you know, you may not be the smartest dude in the room or the smartest guy in the meeting at work, but for some reason, you know, people listen to you, you're able to to communicate with them when the meeting's over. People always say, hey, that was a great job, Gary. And I don't feel it, you know, but I began to realize it's that emotional quotient that God has given me that's allowed me to have those connections and to have pe people trust me because I'm empathetic. I think I am empathetic. And I feel people and I try my best not to be, you know, prior for the judgmental. And I think it's that one, the emotional intelligence. And that's something that I think is intuitive, you know, for me. Uh, and uh, and I'll hold on to that. Um, then you mentioned the ones that um, the one that I may need to work on uh, physical, you know, definitely <laughs> discipline. I said I walk, but I could, I could do a little bit more. My wife would tell you that I could do a little bit more with, with that, especially in terms of. Um, you know, I do a lot, sometimes too much, and to alleviate the stress, um, I, I should do a little bit more physically. Walking helps, but I can't always walk. You know, I said in the winter, I typically don't because it's cold and I won't get out there and do it. So during those times, you know, stress builds up, uh, pressure builds up, and, you know, I could, I could and should do more or be more disciplined year-round in terms of taking care of my body, especially as I'm getting older, right, to make sure that I'm not allowing stress to build up and, and cause problems. But physical discipline, Definitely is one uh, spiritual, mental, you know, I, I try my best to, to focus on there. I'm, I'm passionate about the word of God. I try my best to, to, to meditate on his word. Uh, I pray. I uh, started a prayer ministry 11 years ago, uh, mm -hmm. probably from the wrong reasons. It's in the morning. It's the morning hour of prayer. I started it. We had left word of faith and I was at a different church for about four or five years. And there was even a reason in that. That's when I was really uh, developed ministerially and, and learned more about doctrine and and I really grew in ministry in a, in a larger organization. Um, but I was asked by the pastor to start a prayer line for the leaders, um, just to get all the leaders together to pray. And they wouldn't get on. They wouldn't join. And I got mad. I was mad after about two weeks. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And the Lord said, no, no, don't, don't, don't stop. He said, Open it up. Open it up and see if anybody else wants to pray. And that was the beginning of the morning hour prayer 11 years ago. And now at seven days a week, 6 a.m. I partnered with a friend that's a pastor in South Carolina, another pastor that's here in Dumfries. We rotate weeks and they're 40, 50, 60 people on from all over the country every morning, 6 a.m. So that helps me with discipline around prayer. And mm -hmm. from that point, I launch into personal prayer on a very consistent basis as well. So spiritual discipline is important, obviously, and I can always do better there. But through prayer and through my personal just love for the word of God and through accountability, through uh, through ministry. Right. I'm able to kind of focus there. But, yeah, I would say emotional intelligence is probably a, a natural strong point. I work on spiritual intelligence and I got to do better with I mean, not, not intelligence, discipline, but I got to do better with physical discipline. Amen. Well, you pray for me on that as well. We're going to get better together. Amen. <laughs> we'll get better together. So um, as a father, what advice would you give to a professional dad today who is balancing the work and the home responsibilities? You know, and, and I'm talking about the, 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 the dad, you already gave advice to the dad on the newborn, but, mm -hmm. and I, and I didn't mean to lie to you. I guess we're time traveling one more time. Okay. <laughs> Where yeah. this professional dad who's, you know, he's got a, he's, he's, he's doing a little bit of business travel. He's working hard. He's trying to earn a living for the family. Um, you know, what advice do you give to that father? <laughs> Something that I that I struggle with with now, um, and have struggled with throughout uh, my marriage. Don't allow those things, whether it's ministry, 
volunteerism, the kids, desire for furthering your education, your career. Don't allow those things to cause your wife to feel jealous, to feel like that you're giving so much of yourself to that. And that could be a whole lot of stuff. And from your perspective, you're doing the right things. You know, you're focusing on God. You're focusing on your career. You're focusing on the kids. You're focusing on educating yourself. You're focusing on all of that. Um, But your wife could be sitting over here saying, you know, where's the attention for me? And you feel like you're giving it to her. And I'm saying you and I'm kind of using that person. But this is something I've had to deal with, you know, a lot. And I thank God for the wife I have because she calls me on it. You know, and she helps me understand it even when I get defensive uh, because it's easy for the professional dad uh, that's working, uh, especially when you commute. And I should commute to Tyson's. Right. And and that's a long commute. And you're gone a long time during the day and you get home and and then you got to go to church and you got to go to this meeting. You got to take the kids to practice. You got to, you know, do all of that. And then when you get home, you eat and then you're tired. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 even though it may not be physical, just the her knowing that you see her. Her knowing that you miss her, her knowing that she and articulating that, you know, the whole love languages thing, understanding the love languages that your wife speaks, that you speak and making sure that you're filling her. My wife is an artist and she painted this picture of a man. It's supposed to be me, bald headed dude, holding a, a jar of water. And the mm-hmm. woman is in front of him. And this this vase is pouring water in front of her. She calls it filling. And she and it came from a place of hurt when she did it um, because she was feeling like I wasn't filling her. I wasn't feeling her emotionally. I wasn't feeling her spiritually because I was so wrapped up in doing so many other things. And I thought she was okay with it. So I I would tell the professional father, be mindful of that trap because it's a very real trap. And, you know, we know the word, don't let your good be evil spoken of, you know. And and in that case, you could be doing all the right things and even for the right reasons. Um, But you may forget about that one closest to you. So I, I warn that man, that professional dad, that professional husband to be mindful of, of, of his wife and make sure that she uh, gets all the, after the Lord, all the first fruits, <laughs> everybody else gets something that's left, right? That, that's absolutely the advice I would give from my own personal experience. Well, I, I know my wife is loving you because as an example, yeah, I'm going to listen to you because I don't believe that that was just you talking to our audience. I think the Lord, uh, the Lord has indicted me right now. So I will. Uh, I was going to work tonight. I, w- I told my wife I was going to work till midnight tonight. So I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off and uh, I'm going to spoil the wife tonight. So I, I appreciate you for that, brother, because uh, uh, I think after the week we've had, she needs she needs uh, some, some extra attention. So thank you, my brother. I appreciate that. Pastor Holland, can you tell us? about your experiences with Toastmasters? Yeah, that, 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 that's an interesting one. I, years ago at work, I was a, um, I was a supervisor, pretty young, uh, working for an IT company, and all the supervisors had to go to Toastmasters to learn how to, how to speak is what they told us and how to lead and, and all of that. I absolutely did not want to go. Come on, man. I'm, I am who I am. I talk how I talk, and this is going to be corny. And I went and I remember this is this is probably 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. And I remember going to a couple of sessions and just being amazed at what I saw happen. But I had to be willing. It took one meeting for me to be willing to accept what I saw happening to people that I worked with in terms of their confidence speaking. And I mentioned how the Lord does develops us in parallel. When I went to those first few meetings, right around that time, you know, a pastor started saying, hey, do you mind teaching the kids on Sunday school? You know, do you mind getting the brothers together and leading the prayer? Right. Right around the time that I was learning how to be more confident. Right. Not not change the way I talk. The way I talk is the way I talk. Who I am is who I am. But the confidence and, and the pace and speaking, learning those things helped me a lot. And then it helped me professionally as well. As I mentioned, I ended up speaking professionally. I ended up presenting and doing all these things. And so that that always made a big difference to me, but I never joined again. And that was 20 plus years ago. Recently, I uh, wanted to do something for the community because I think that there are a lot of us that don't move forward professionally or struggle in ministry or struggle uh, engaging in the community because they're not confident in their speaking, not confident uh, in saying what they need to say. And I know the Toastmasters helped me. So I worked with a neighbor, uh, Soraya King, who's a good friend, and uh, we started a club. We started a Toastmasters club here called S3 Toastmasters. It's the 
Stanford Synergistic Speakers. That's what S3 stands for. Like the whole that. idea is we come together and the synergy of us coming together is going to allow us to do more together than we can ever do, you know, on our own. And, it, and it's been awesome. We were able to get enough paid members in 30 days to charter a club. And typically it takes years, literally years for Toastmasters clubs to, to get enough paid members to obtain a charter. Uh, and Toastmasters is an international organization and there are clubs all over the world. Uh, there are a bunch of them in this area also. Um, but with, with, with COVID, it's tough, but we're still doing it through Zoom. People are growing, uh, but progressing. It's a great organization and it really does help people develop their confidence. You'd be amazed, maybe you wouldn't be, a lot of folks would be amazed at how uncomfortable people are just talking. There, there's a segment called Table Topics where there's a person it rotates and they'll just they'll come up with a question beforehand and then they'll say they'll say who wants to answer this question and one person will say okay i will and then they'll come up with some crazy question and you have two minutes to respond just being able to think on your feet just being able to respond it doesn't have to be true you can make up a story <laughs> it doesn't matter but just right. the exercise of speaking and being more confident and hearing yourself and i think zoom helps because you can see yourself you know when we're in the room together you can't right um, but uh, Toastmasters has helped me a lot and it's helping a lot of folks in our group. We have about 25, 26 members throughout the area now. And once COVID drops down, we're going to expand and do some work to uh, to get the word out to others. But it's a benefit to business folks, ministerial folks, just regular people uh, benefit from the Toastmasters program. It's helped me a lot and I've seen it help a lot of other folks as well. Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to join one of the secondary purposes for me starting this podcast because I would love to get into corporate speech, but I have to get all the I have to get all of my uh, my country habits, my country preaching habits out of my speech so that I can get ready for corporate speech. So I need y'all to help me uh, to to get some of my countryness out of uh, out of my speech so that I can be a little more fine tuned for the for the corporate world. So and look, look, brother, that, that's your internal that's your internal voice talking to you because as a person that's only heard you and seen you externally, I, I don't hear any 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 country in you at all. And I've only seen you preach, um, uh-huh. you know, and heard you deliver the word. I haven't heard it. But one great thing about Toastmasters, they have programs called Pathways, okay. and each pathway can take a year or two to go through, but you pick the pathway that you want to start with. And most people go try to go through all of them if you can over five or six years, but it may be uh, uh, embedding comedy in your speaking. It may be leadership. It may be persuasive speaking. It may be uh, corporate speaking. It may be strategic planning. You pick the pathway you want and there are a series of projects and things that you do, speeches, you prepare and deliver, you're assessed, you receive written feedback, you know, all that kind of, so it really is a legitimate well thought out program that helps people pinpoint areas they want to develop in. And as you complete pathways, you receive designations and you can have letters after your name and, and all of that. There's something for everybody, I guess, is what I'm saying, whether you're a preacher, a professional uh, or what have you, there's something in there to help you become a better communicator and a better leader. That's awesome. Well, we're going to promote that. Uh, we're going to promote your, your Thursday night uh, Toastmasters at the end of this. We'll have a little, sure. We'll have a, a graph up so that people can can sign up. Now, Pastor Holland, as we're closing out, can you tell us about your wonderful work in Stafford, Virginia? That you, how you serve people, and and let me just tell our audience this: uh, it is amazing because you know I'm interviewing uh, a very successful CEO in in Stafford, Virginia, and he he mentions your name, and then I have my Caroline, my Caroline, you know. And I'll just tell you this, Pastor. I got pockets of friends in different locations that have they don't know each other. So mm-hmm. then I got my Caroline friends, and then they start talking about this gentleman at the same time. This Pastor Gary Holland and the work that he does, and and I think I even heard about you from a third source, where <laughs> you know there's other people who doesn't know the CEO Vernon, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Green, and yeah. they don't know my Caroline friends, and then someone else. Bring, so I was like, well, I, I must know about this man. I need to know about this man and all of his extraordinary work. So, uh, Pastor Holly, can you tell us about your work in Stafford, Virginia? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's just it's a couple things that, that that I'm involved with. Um, one, I guess, to start with, I formed last year out of all of the turmoil and out of all of the, the confusion um, in Stafford and Fredericksburg after George Floyd. Um, several people were saying to me, you know, where's the where's the church? Where is the why don't I hear my pastor 
at some of these rallies. Why, why isn't my pastor? These are white and black people uh, ministering about division, ministering about re reconciliation racially. You know, why are they not helping people kind of get through this? Uh, and I had a good friend that said, you know, if the church doesn't speak, the enemy's going to speak. You know, but and people were saying, I don't, I don't hear the church. So during that time, you know, I, I joined the NAACP here in Stafford and became very active with the NAACP, became the chair of the Economic Development Committee and did a lot of the speaking. We were having rallies and things like that. I found myself, you know, speaking because I'm comfortable with it um, because of ministry and because of my job. I just found myself uh, just speaking about a lot of the things that were going on. Uh, from that, I formed a group called Enough. And Enough is a group, there are about 700 people in it now, and we've actually expanded. We have a presence in St. Louis with a person leading the St. Louis, uh, I'll call it a branch, and, and the presence in the Carolinas. And the focus is just to implement different initiatives. We have next-gen education for the youth, economic development, voter literacy, and civic engagement, uh, mind, body, and soul focuses on is physical well-being. We walk on Saturdays here now, as a matter of fact. Uh, right in Fredericksburg, we get together now, the weather's breaking again, we get together and walk and people do things in St. Louis through Zoom, Zumba Fitness. So one of our initiatives is in that area as well. And community service is also an initiative. And through community service, we formed what we call the Stafford Community Support Initiative. And we partnered with Mr. Green, uh, Pastor uh, Bishop Lacey, Leonard Lacey of UFCM, and one of the local politicians to start a food bank. Uh, in this area, the Stafford Regional Food Bank. And we have a partnership with the Fredericksburg Food Bank and we're the food pantry, but they provide the food, we distribute, market and distribute here. A lot of volunteers are involved and we've expanded now. Uh, I'm not sure if you know Pastor Troy Dixon at Zion Church in Fredericksburg, um, but they've just agreed to be our distribution point in Fredericksburg and they have a great connection, a great outreach ministry. So now we're extending the food distribution down through Fredericksburg, heading down toward toward Caroline. So that effort kind of spawned from enough. We've done things around Adopt the Highway. We have a two-mile section of 610 here in Stafford that once we do our two cleanups over the next month or so, we're going to have a sign about the group Enough and about what it is where we're all about. So we've done a lot of things through Enough. We've coordinated a lot of different events, a lot of uh, things for the community. And uh, we, we put together with Vernon last year a series of forums uh, where we got local elected officials, the police departments, the school board to meet. And we invited the community in and let people just talk and let them share their heart, share their issues, share their comments with the elected officials in a very respectful way. We spent time with the attendees first to make sure they frame their points well. We didn't want folks getting up there, you know, kind of just going off on, you know, the board of supervisors or the sheriff or what have you. So we had a series of those last summer that were very, very helpful. In fact, they actually led to the creation of the Stafford Diversity and Inclusion Committee that the board approved that's in place now. Uh, we were asked to go do the same thing in Fredericksburg, and we did a couple of uh, forums down there in Fredericksburg. So involved in, in those sorts of areas uh, was very helpful. Uh, recently, I transferred my membership to the Spotsylvania NAACP with uh, President Mo Petway, and we're doing some work down there with the Rappahannock Regional Jail because there's some issues there and there's some of the, uh, the incarcerated persons are complaining about some things. And we've been bringing the spotlight, partnering with some other organizations such as Failsafe ERA uh, to make sure that they realize that external organizations are paying attention to what the incarcerated folks are saying and trying to hold them accountable to make sure that they're taking care of those folks and not using COVID as an excuse for having them locked up in isolation for two, three weeks at a time, feeding them peanut butter, which is the sort of thing that's happening at Rappahannock Regional Jail. So we're doing a lot of work there in addition to the things we're doing around the community. And we do a lot through ministry uh, as well. So, I mean, those are some of the things that come to mind. We started the Toastmasters Club, you know, and, and things like that. So um, that, that kind of comes to mind now. I'm sure I'm missing something, but I try to go where the Lord leads me uh, and, and, and try to help people go along with me so they can begin to operate in that area if they're called. And then I can, can move on to, to something else, realizing I can't do and don't want to continue to do everything. I just physically, you know, you just can't do that. Where where in North Carolina are you, are you all connected? The the enough branch in North Carolina is actually in, in South Carolina is where the person that's leading it is located. He's in Columbia. Uh, Pastor Yancey McPherson, we met 20 years ago when he was in Marine Corps. He went to Word of Faith and we were deacons together. And okay. he's a pastor now, senior pastor of the church he established many years ago in South Carolina. 
Um, so he actually is leading the Enough uh, program down there and doing some wonderful things down there. And in uh, St. Louis uh, is the other location, and that's uh, Pastor uh, Ivan Coates. I've known Ivan since he was uh, a little boy, literally. And uh, he now is married, uh, a great man of God in his own right, professional guy, uh, has, has his own family, serves in ministry as an elder, and just started his own church called Your Church, Y-O-U apostrophe R. Uh, started a new ministry there. So he uh, has established the St. Louis branch of Enough and is expanding. And we have some interest in expanding in other places. And actually, the Black Voters Matter movement. Uh, in Georgia that helped with the mobilization there, that helped turn that state. They saw what we were doing, looking at the website, and they had connections to Jennifer Carol Foy's campaign and set up a call with me. And they want to sow uh, a significant amount of money into enough so that we can go out and do more voter mobilization throughout Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really starting to grow. And I'm standing back saying, Lord, this started out of my frustration because people were saying, where's the voice of the church? And I didn't think that what they needed to hear was a preacher. They needed to see men of God, women of God coming together, making a real difference in the community in areas that matter to people. And that's where Enough was was birthed from. And now I look at it and see how it's growing. And it's just um, it's amazing. Our, our chairperson is a, a great evangelist in the area uh, named Char- Sharita. Uh, and Sharita is, is great. Um, she's doing a wonderful job, you know, setting the vision and strategy and, and promoting what we're trying to do. And uh, I have no idea where it's going to go, but I'm enjoying the ride. <laughs> <laughs> amen, amen, amen. Yeah, I just started uh, working in media for the Caroline County NAACP. And, okay. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just getting my feet wet. And, uh, another thing, just so I can mention it, the Undivided is a group of uh, pastors that formed um, uh, several months ago, about eight, nine months ago, because of all of the issues um, in the church and uh-huh. the church not really dealing with the race issues across the country. Okay. And and we put, got a group together to talk about why why is that white and black different denominations. And it's been an absolute blessing to see people, for us to come together, women, and for people to begin to acknowledge and see their problem. A lot of folks are falling off because that mirror, you know, is making it pretty obvious that, you know, you don't really agree that their systemic racism exists. So, you know, or some people have looked at themselves and said, you know what, you really don't want to deal with white people, you know, and they've just fallen off. So that mirror has been, these are pastors. Now, these are pastors that are uh, part of this group, and some just won't attend and say they don't have time. And I'm like, how can you not have time to talk about one of the major issues across this country and in our communities right now? We know what they say about 11 being the most segregated hour of the week. It really is. But how do you minister to a, a multicultural congregation where 30% of them are hurting because of what happened in Chicago, where 30% of them are hurting because the lieutenant uh, that was accosted in Virginia? How do you minister to those people? If you want at least reconcile in yourself, you know, what was going on in terms of your, you know, your, your your dealings with race. Right. So Undivided helps us all to build relationships and to talk. And it's been a great, great experience for a lot of the folks that have been participating. Amen. Amen. Now, as we close out, Pastor Holland, we can't thank you enough for coming on. You didn't have to do this. You didn't need to do this. We truly appreciate you. You have the last word, sir. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? I, I, yeah, actually, I do. I mean, just what you're doing tonight. I, I have a good friend named Carl Armstrong. He said that when COVID started, you know, he's an he's an elder, he's an associate pastor at his church in, in Dumfries, and he said that he was struggling with how was the ministry going to, you know, go forward. How are we going to connect with people? This is before they started using Streamyard and Zoom and and all of this sort of thing. And he ended up he started uh, his own social media platform, and he started interviewing all sorts of people, and this exploded. It literally has exploded. It's uh, uh, Carl's Conversations is his his tag. And he's talking to all sorts of people in ministry, in the community, different states, et cetera. And he told me one time that he found his voice. He mm. found his voice in the middle of all of this. So the one thing that I would say to folks that are listening is even though it's crazy now, even though you know COVID is, is turning things around, breaking up homes, shutting down businesses, uh, causing kids to really struggle. My 13-year-old really struggled. Um, and he's very active, he's athletic, social, and he struggled. Uh, and folks are dealing with all sorts of uh, emotional issues. Even in the middle of all of that, you can still find your voice. You know, the, the gifting that God put in you didn't go anywhere because society has changed, didn't go anywhere because of rules that the government put on. There's still something on the inside of, of, of you that needs to be released. 
So I just I challenge people to just really talk to God and say, Lord, what is it? What is what is it you want me to do? What is it you want me to say? How do you want me to say it? And wait until he lets you know. And when he lets you know, go for it. Go for it. Walk by faith and take a step out, just like you're doing with this platform and my friend Carl is doing and the things we've been able to do through enough and uh, through NAACP and through other collaborative efforts. I mean, there are things we can do. And sometimes I look at this whole COVID deal and I wonder if, if this was God's way of saying, you know what, this is the way I'm going to get some stuff out of people. You don't know the flavor of the tea bag until you put it in hot water. Right. I think <laughs> there's, there's a lot of flavor uh, being released in God's people now because they're in hot water. And uh, just don't let that remain bottled up. Let it go. Ask God what it is you can do because uh, the kingdom suffers violence, right? And we need to rise up and we need to get out here and let people know that Christ loves them. And we need to let them know in a way that they can receive it, in a way that's relational, in a way that's lasting and not emotional. You know what I mean? So uh, that's my challenge. That's my call to action for folks. Find your voice and then... uh and then, and then, 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 then growl. Let <laughs> it go. That's beautiful, Pastor. That's beautiful. Thank you again. If you enjoyed Pastor Gary Holland as much as we did, please check out his many endeavors. And for those listening to the audio version of this podcast, please check out our show notes where you can see his involvement in everything from social justice to traditional church ministries.